He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everyone my name's charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and i wanted to start a new series today because as of today the prophet by khalil gibran has entered into the public domain and this is a book that has meant a lot to me for a great deal of my life it gibran when he wrote it said that he felt that he was not so much writing the prophet, but that the prophet was writing him. And there's something almost magical about the text and the poetry of this book. And I really wanted to do this because I think that there's a lot of interesting things to learn here. So we're going to start at the very beginning. I'm going to be reading to the best of my ability, the actual text of the book, and then we'll be stopping periodically and talking about it. So here we go. So we're going to start in chapter one, the coming of the ship. Almuf's, <laughs> here we go. I'm already, I'm already tongue-tied, so bear with me. Okay. Al-Mustafa, the chosen and beloved, who was a dawn unto his own day, had waited 12 years in the city of Orphalis for his ship that was to return and bear him back to the isle of his birth. Now, I just wanted to stop for a minute on this phrase, he was the dawn of his unto his own day, because this is a motif that we're going to see repeated throughout the book. And it's important to understand here that um, Gibran was a Marianite Christian. He was raised a Marianite Christian, and being in Lebanon had a an interesting relationship with not only the Christian community, but with the Sufi Muslim community in the country. So what we find in his poetry is kind of a merger of the two, not to mention he was fascinated by the transcendentalists, the American transcendentalists. And so you're going to see a lot that's going to remind you of Walt Whitman and Emerson and the like. But with the prophet being called, the dawn of his, he was a dawn unto his own day. This is one of the core concepts of the book that he moves because he moves. He does things because he does things. He is because he is. And this is one of the ideals that we are to aspire to. It's an almost Taoist idea that we must learn to be our own dawn to our own day, that we have to, you know, through silence and meditation and through community and love, find that heart, that motion within ourselves that lights our own life. Now, one of the most interesting things about this is there are a lot of ways to read this passage. He's waited here for 12 years, 12, of course, being a significant number in almost every world religion, but he's waited here 
for his ship to return and bear him back to the Isle of his birth. Now, as we continue on, you're going to see that he thinks of the ocean, the sea that he's going to be traveling on, somewhere between death and the spiritual realm. And so this could be seen, if you will, as the prophet at the end of his life. So let us continue. And in the twelfth year, on the seventh day of Elul, the month of reaping, he climbed a hill without the city walls and looked seaward, and he beheld his ship coming with the mist. Now, it's important there that the ship is coming with the mist. It is clouded in mystery. This is a very common mystical idea. In fact, it's one of those at the heart of the cloud of unknowing that we who dabble in spirituality and mysticism have to become used to the concept of unknowing, that we're not going to know and understand everything that we see and experience. And so even the ship that is going to bear him back to the land of his birth, it came across the sea with the mist. Continuing from the text. Then the gates of his heart were flung open, and his joy flew far over the sea, and he closed his eyes and prayed in the silences of his soul. Now that's important, the silences. Remember, we're going to go back to this motif a lot, this idea that he has been meditating and he has been praying for all these 12 years and teaching. And that is what has prepared him for this journey home across the spiritual lands. Continuing. But he descended the hill. I'm sorry. But as he descended the hill, a sadness came upon him, and he thought in his heart, How shall I go in peace and without sorrow? Nay, not without a wound in, my, in the spirit shall I leave this city. Long were the days of pain I spent within its walls, and long were the nights of aloneness. And who can depart from his pain and his aloneness without regret? Too many fragments of the spirit have I scattered in these streets, and too many are the children of my longing that walk naked amongst these hills. And I cannot withdraw from them without a burden and an ache. It was not a garment I cast off this day, but a skin that I tear with my own hands. Nor is it a thought I leave behind me, but a heart made sweet with hunger and with thirst. Yet I cannot tarry longer. The sea calls all things unto her, calls me, and I must embark for to say, I'm sorry, for to stay, though the hours burn in the night is to freeze and crystallize and be bound in a mold. Fain would I take with me all that is here, but how shall I? A voice cannot carry the tongue and the lips that give it wings. Alone must it seek the ether. And alone and without his nest shall the eagle fly across the sun. This is just such a beautiful way of contemplating this. 
it's not only, like I said, it depends on how you want to view this passage. He's either going away to his death or he's going home. Either way, he's leaving this place that he has lived for so long, this place that has been a place of pain and aloneness. Because as we often talk about when we discuss the Via Negativa, this is a world of aloneness because we are isolated in our skin. We are isolated from others and we don't see the interconnectedness between us and all things, between us and everyone else and everything else. And so we feel that aloneness so acutely in everything that we do. And so he says, it is not a garment that I cast off this day, but a skin that I tear with my own hands. Right? It's not that we're just casting off a coat to say, I am becoming one. I am going back to the stream. I'm going back to the water, the sea from which all flows and which all calls all back to itself. There, there's a labor involved. And a lot of spiritual teachings, especially nowadays, try to shortcut the labor and tell you that it's easy. Just do this and everything's fine or just do that and everything's fine or say these magic words or burn this magic thing or wear this magic thing or what have you. But all spirituality, all mysticism is earned through practice, through effort and through great work. And that's what we see him struggling with here. It's now time to leave. All of his work is done but he doesn't want to go. He cannot tarry any longer. Now let's continue. Now, when he reached the foot of the hills, he turned again towards the sea, and he saw his ship approaching the harbor, and upon her prow the mariners, the men of his own land. And his soul cried out to them, and he said, Sons of my ancient mother, you riders of the tide, how often have you sailed in my dreams, and now you come in my awakening, which is my deeper dream. Ready am I to go, ready am I to go, and my eagerness with sails full set awaits the wind. Only another breath will I breathe in this still air. Only another loving look cast backwards. And then I shall stand among you, a seafarer among seafarers, and you, vast sea sleeping mother, who alone are peace and freedom to the river and to the stream. Only another winding will this stream make. Only another murmur in this glade, and then I shall come to you a boundless drop to a boundless ocean. That is just so powerful. It's so beautiful. And again, as I said, this is him leaving. And it could be seen in many ways. This is his enlightenment, as he says, this is the moment of my awakening. My awakening, which is my deeper dream. He's going away, and he realizes that soon he will be a boundless drop in a boundless ocean, 
If you add a drop of water to the ocean, the ocean does not change. Does the drop change? What happens to it? We can go into the science and we can talk about how everything disperses and this and that and the other thing. But the mystery of the experience is what he's talking about here. Once we enter that boundless sea and realize that we are but a boundless drop going into that boundless tree, that the stream that has been our life is going to its only peace, to its only rest. What will we find there? We don't know. We have no idea. We have conjecture. We have thoughts. We have the words of saints. We have the teachings of the divine. When the saints appear on earth to others, they do not tell us what the end will be like. When the angels come, they do not tell us what the end is like. Jesus, who returned from the dead, and Lazarus, who returned from the dead, neither one tell us what it was like. This is the permanent mystery. None of us will know until we go there. None of us will understand until, like the stream, we take our final turn and become not but boundless drops in a boundless ocean. And then, only then will we know. And so in opening the book, we are here in this place of profound unknowing. And that sets the stage for everything that is going to follow. You have to approach from this place. You have to start from this place where you realize, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's going to happen. And only when I accept that unknowing can I progress. It sounds so counterintuitive. It really does, but it matters. I remember when I first started down this path, a rabbi had me do a practice where you sit and pray that your guardian angel will show you a taste of death. What is it like? And in my own mind, I saw myself as if I were a bird and I felt myself flying over this endless field in the sun. The warmth, the love, the peace, the freedom of it all. And in that experience, I understood something, but it's not something that I can give words to. And that's what the prophet is telling us here. He doesn't have the words. None of us do. The great mystery will always be the great mystery. What is God? What is life? What is death? These will always stand before us as the great mysteries of our times. And we'll continue this after the break. And we're back. When we left our prophet Mustafa, he was walking down the mountain and trying to figure out how he was going to cope with leaving this place that he had lived for the last 12 years. And we continue reading from the prophet. And as he walked, he saw from afar men and women leaving their fields and their vineyards and hastening towards the city gates, and he heard their voices calling his name, 
and shouting from field to field, telling one another of the coming of his ship. And he said to himself, Shall the day of parting be a day of gathering? And shall it be said that my eve was in truth my dawn? And what shall I give unto him who has left his slough in mid-furrow? Or to him who has stopped the wheel of the winepress? Shall my heart become a tree heavy laden with fruit, that I may gather and give unto them? And shall my desires flow like a fountain, that I may fill up their cups? Am I a harp, that the hand of the mighty may touch me, or a lute that his breath may pass through me? A seeker of silences am I, and what a treasure I have found in silences, that I may dispense with confidence. If it is, I'm sorry, if this is my day of harvest, in what field have I sowed the seed, and in what unremembered season? If this indeed be the hour in which I lift up my lantern, it is not my flame that shall burn therein. Empty and dark shall I raise my lantern and the guardian of the night shall fill it with oil, and he shall light it also. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so let's break this down. So he sees the people coming to the city gates, and he realizes that they have seen the ships coming, and they know the ship coming, and they know he's going to leave. And he's trying to figure out, what should I say to them? And he starts doing something that anyone who even pretends to talk about spiritual matters should do. It's something that I do very often. They have to realize it's not them speaking. I love the poetic language here. Am I a harp that the hand of the mighty may touch me, or a flute that his breath may pass through me? A seeker of silences am I, and what treasure I found in silences that I may dispense with confidence. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Because if you are a mystic, if you are living a mystic life, you have to realize that the insights that you get are there for you to share. No prophecy comes of individual interpretation. That's what the Apostle Peter tells us. And it's so important. It's for the community. Everything that we gain is for the community. It's for the for others. So any insight that you gain in meditation as a seeker of silences, every little bit of treasure that you get your hands on, that is for the community, not just for you. So we realize that we as mystics, as prophets, as artists, as the statements of creation spirituality call us. These identities do not entitle us to speak on behalf of the Almighty. They do not entitle us to speak on the behalf of any spiritual entity. 
All they mean is that like the prophet here, we have learned to raise our lantern and we realize that we cannot light the flame. If this indeed be the hour in which I lift up my lantern, it is not my flame that shall burn therein. Empty and dark shall I raise my lantern, and the guardian of the night shall fill it with oil, and he shall bless, and he shall light it also. The guardian of dark, of night here is that spiritual insight, that wisdom that we're here to seek that comes in those moments of profound isolation, in those moments of profound silence when we are meditating. I've talked about this before, but it is amazing to me how many, while in meditation, will experience that marvelous light that the apostles did on Mount Tabor surrounding them. That is the light being lit by the guardian of the night. And we may not understand in that moment what the light means or why it was lit. We may not understand the stirrings that we have. We may not understand the still small voice that speaks to us and sometimes through us. But in sharing those insights, what little, what few we have, we grow together as a community. We become one in a way that is profound and meaningful. And it's important for us to realize that. Continuing. These things he said in words, but much in his heart remained unsaid, for he himself could not speak his deeper secret. And when he entered into the city, all of the people came to meet him, and they were crying out to him as with one voice. The elders of the city stood forth and said, Go not yet from us. A noontide have you been in our twilight, and your youth has given us dreams to dream. No stranger are you among us, nor a guest, but our son and our dearly beloved. Suffer not our yet our eyes to hunger for your face. So the elders of the city have asked him to stay, and they do so in this wonderfully poetic way where they remind him that his youth gave them dreamed, dreams to dream. This is a wonderful callback to the prophecy of Joel that the Holy Spirit shall be poured out on all flesh and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God upon all of us that once we enter into faith, once we enter into practice, these things can happen and they guide us and they show us. And that we realize that the prophet is not a stranger or a guest, but he is our son and our dearly beloved. That connection that we have to the prophet is core to our practice and to our heart. When we think of Jesus, we think of him as our Lord, as our brother, and also as our sister and as our child. 
St. Teresa of Avila said that it is the most important duty of the Christian to see Christ as a child, for it breeds great humbleness and humility in them, for who can be proud and haughty in their hearts if they serve an infant? And it's this imagery, this power that gives us strength, and it helps us to move through our life and do all of the things that we have to do. And see old men look at the prophet, and in him they see the ability to dream dreams. And the priests and the pre I'm sorry, continuing from the text. And the priests and the priestess I can't talk today. And the priests and the priestesses said unto him, Let us I'm sorry, let not the wave of the seas separate us now, and the years you spent in our midst become a memory. You have walked among us a spirit, and your shadow has been a light upon our faces. Much have we loved you, but speechless was our love, and with veils it has been veiled. Yet now it cries aloud unto you, and would stand revealed before you, and never has it been that love knows not its own depths until the hour of separation. And others... Okay. So the priests came, and in them they see this great light. For even his shadow was light unto their faces, because he had emptied himself of self. This is something that we're going to see later as we go through the text and we continue on our studies. Nothing was there but the light that flowed through him. Nothing but the light. Continuing. And others came also and entreated him, but he answered them not. He only bent his head, and those who stood near saw his tears falling upon his breast. And he and the people proceeded towards the great square before the temple. And there came out of the sanctuary a woman whose name was Almitra, and she was a seeress. And she looked upon, and he looked upon her with exceeding tenderness, for it was she who had first sought and believed in him when he had been but a day in their city. And she hailed him, saying, Prophet of God, in quest of the utmost. Long have you searched the distances for your ship, and now your ship has come, and you must needs go. Deep is your longing for the land of your memories and the dwelling place of your greater desires, and our love would not bind you, nor our needs hold you. Yet this we ask ere you leave, that you speak to us, and give us your truth. And we will give it to our children, and they unto their children, and it shall not perish. In your aloneness you have watched with our days, and in your wakefulness you have listened to the weeping and the laughter of our sleep. Now, therefore, disclose to us, to ourselves, 
sorry, now, therefore, disclose us to ourselves and tell us all that has been shown you of that which is between birth and death. And he answered, People of Orphalese, of what can I speak save of that which is even now moving within your souls? How powerful is that? So here we have the prophet being asked by the seeress to explain to them what he knows. What is your truth? What have you learned up on the mountain in your many silences? What have you learned? Share it to us. What have you learned about what happens between birth and death? Tell us, and we will tell our children and our children's children, and that knowledge will not perish. See, this is the point of the mystic. This is the point of the prophet to go up to the hill, to go up to the top of the mountain, and to listen for the voice of the divine in stillness, and to gather that message and to bring it down to the people, and to share what they have learned, the insights that they have gleaned. Not to be blindly obeyed, but to be listened to, to be shared in the community. And that's what we are going to be doing as we go through the prophet together. I love this book so much, and I hope that you love it too. You can find versions of it everywhere. It's, like I said, in the public domain as of today, so it should be easy to find. Definitely get yourself a copy of it so you can follow along. And it's one of those books that I read and reread regularly. I have a wonderful audiobook of it that I listen to from time to time while I'm doing things. It's a book that means a lot to me. If you have enjoyed this uh, taste of what is to come, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate the episode or the podcast, please do that. That really helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm that it should share me with other people, and that really does help me out quite a bit. So if you do that, please do. If you've got a few dollars you can throw my way, either depending on the app, there'll either be a button that says support or in the show notes, there'll be a link that says support on anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, $10 levels. That really does help out a lot. Um, I'm very busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I have to pay for all of this out of my own pocket and it would really help to be able to, you know, defer some of the cost of hosting and it would also help me in my horrible capitalist mind to you know justify spending the time making the podcast because I really do love it but you know you know how the world is at any rate um, if you don't have any money that's all right please pray for me your prayers mean a lot and if you know of anybody that you think would benefit from this podcast please share it with them because I think that that's what this is all about. Community is about sharing. If you want to follow me online, I'm Wisdom Cries Out on Twitter, and you can find a link to everything that I do over at wisdomscry.com. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen. <laughs>